I'm Chaplain Jacob Scott of the Oregon National Guard. This is the Hope in the Trenches podcast. We're going forward. I'll sit down for conversations with people who offer interesting and informative perspectives on finding strength for life and work in the trenches and even improving our spiritual posture. Whether you feel like you're under heavy bombardment or ready to go over the top toward a new objective, it's good to be with you. My guest today is Beth Kahn. Beth, also known to most of us as Captain Kahn, is the Director of Psychological Health for the Oregon National Guard. She has a master's in social work from Portland State University, and she has over 25 years of social work and counseling experience in the fields of juvenile corrections. She's also worked in adoption social work. She's been a speaker at workshops and conferences, teaching, mentoring, and counseling individuals, couples, and groups. She has a passion for veterans, and her experience working with PTSD led her to seek out a job with the military. And so in 2013, she started working as a contractor for the National Guard. Then she took a direct commission in 2015 as a full-time behavioral health officer. We'll have to talk more about that. She's married, has four children. Her oldest daughter is a corpsman in the Naval Reserves, and her second oldest daughter is in the Oregon Air National Guard. She recently returned from a deployment to the Horn of Africa with the Oregon National Guard's 1st Battalion, 186th Infantry. I'll have to ask you about that, too. Well, welcome, and thanks for coming on today. Thank you, Chaplain, for having me. So two big ideas that I hope to cover today would be kind of mental health awareness and and then because of the kind of the, the big theme of this podcast being hope and spiritual resilience, then I also kind of want to talk about the connection between spiritual readiness and mental health and, and, and mental readiness. But first, let's uh, tell me about how you got here today. A very winding path, for sure, as you indicated in my bio. Um, uh-huh. Million years, never would have thought that I would end up in the military Never would have thought once I joined the military that I would even ever end up deployed. Um, but you just never know where the you, path you leads. Never, and you never do. No, no. So I did my military career totally backwards. Most people, you know, join at 17, 18, and, and then through their military career kind of find out what they want to do for the rest of their life. Um, I did that backwards. I started um, – into social work, uh, right out of the gate, right out of high school, went right into college, into psychology, okay. right from my bachelor's degree into a master's program. Had my master's by the time I was 23 mm-hmm. and knew oh, that wow. I wanted to help people um, and did all of that for uh, 20 years um, before I really discovered that my niche was really the military and the veteran culture that I really wanted to focus on and so, yeah, that's what you do when you're old and gray and 40-something is you get an age waiver to join the military. Well, fantastic. I'm glad I'm glad we did. So, yeah, and it was something that you worked with kind of took you down to the recruiter or told you how to find the recruiter, right? Yeah. At the time, I was the contractor um, and loved the job, but the funding stream was going to shift away from the contracts and into funding uniformed personnel. And so I went to uh, my boss, the W state surgeon at the time, and said, well, now what do I do? And he said, well, go talk to the recruiters and get a uniform so you can still do the job. And so that's what I did. Fantastic. Fantastic. And then you deployed with the infantry. Yeah, and then got the opportunity to deploy, which was an amazing experience. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that. 
Uh, well, it's fairly new for the guard to think in terms of embedded behavior health, mm-hmm. um, and we are not a regular part of a deployment manning roster at all. So over the last several years, uh, we as the behavior health team have worked really hard to um, to get uh, a little bit outside of the medical command and out to the line units and provide that support. And through some of those relationships, um, we had two of the commanders um, during this last uh, deployment phase that um, opted to change out one of the other positions in order to bring behavioral health officers along with them. So uh, one of the 186 and Lieutenant Colonel Dyer was one of those and so got the opportunity to deploy as their behavioral health officer to Djibouti, Africa and support them as well as their units down in Somalia and Kenya and around the Horn of Africa. Yeah, you guys had a really interesting deployment. I mean, even apart from COVID. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And that just made it even more interesting. (laughs) Well, so now, um, and kind of one of the reasons that I uh, invited you here today was when when you returned from Africa, you were posting some things on social media talking about transition and you had you had a whole series, some some kind of tidbits about transition. Can you tell me a little, a little bit about that and some of the some of the things that you identified as as you and your unit were returning and what prompted you to to mm-hmm. to post those? Uh, I mean, it's some great transition tips and advice and things that for for people to think about. Mm, thank you. Um, well, the the vision of of even deploying embedded behavioral health was really to provide that continuous support. Um, before, during, and after the deployment. Um, and the, the more that, particularly because of the stigma around behavior health and, mm-hmm. and help-seeking and um, all of that, that we've been trying to shift within the military culture for years, um, a lot of that's broken down by just that familiarity. And so being able to connect with that battalion before the deployment uh, for a few months and then be with them through that process and then, you know, really, and maybe most importantly, that transition home and wanting to continue to be that presence mm-hmm. and that voice and um, and in continue that familiarity. And so that was just one of the ways that, um, you know, once we get home, that's the disadvantage of, of guard over active duty is we come home and disperse. Absolutely. Um, and we lose that, um, that sense of community that I think is so important and key. And um, so social media being what it is, um, is just another tool that we have to be able to, to keep that connectedness. And so I was just kind of going through my own process and my own transition mm-hmm. and uh, as well as having conversations with various people um, that either had also just returned or other people who had experienced reintegration in years past. And different themes would just come up that I thought, you know, oh, well, this really seems to resonate with this phase of our reintegration. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll write a post about that now. Yeah. So tried to just touch on some of those things as they kind of came up and were relevant to me. I thought maybe they'd be relevant to others. Well, absolutely. That's so much of what we try to do in providing care to people is to kind of help normalize the things that they're thinking about, things that they're feeling, the experiences that they're going through. Because so so often people, when they're struggling, will feel like they're alone. And so a a big part Mm -hmm. of it is just, you know, you're not the only one. Exactly. Yeah. So what what were some of the the big themes that you touched on or or noticed? Um, Well, I think one of the main things that I tried to prepare um, our group, but even before we left country and then in the first weeks after was – 
was the concept of uh, what I call the both and that that it's it's such a there's such a variety of emotions and responses and some of them are often so contradictory oh, we're yeah. we're excited to go home and yet we also kind of maybe feel this impending nervousness or or loss about the deployment experience and and those seem to contradict each other and so our natural tendency is to think that one is the right thing to feel and therefore if we feel the opposite then that must be the wrong thing to feel mm-hmm. and that i think really messes us up um in our our emotional well-being when we when we really suppress or deny something that's a very natural and normal response. And so I would talk a lot about just embracing the both and and that that's okay and maybe it'll shift, you know, day to day or maybe it's hour to hour oh, and yeah. just like riding that wave. That was one of the themes. Um, some of the themes around, like you said, some of that disconnectedness and isolation, um, themes around um, uh, anger is always uh, kind of a oh, big yeah. topic for the military and particularly as we're transitioning and some of those frustrations and tensions uh, that are normal to reintegration start to build. Right, um, right. Why am I so angry at Starbucks, right? Right, yeah. yeah. Um, and so we talked about some of those themes. And I think you – well, like uh, – so I'd recently returned from a deployment as well and what was – really shocking in a way for most of us was we went from a deployment environment, which is very controlled and we're and in the military. We're used to being our, our movements and what we wear and what we're allowed to do is, is typically very controlled. We're not used to that at home, especially mm-hmm. in the Garden Reserves. Mm-hmm. And then COVID happened and now you go from a deployment environment to return to home, which is now very different than it was when you left. I mean, there's always that in deployment, right? Uh, Heraclitus, the philosopher, said you, you never step into the same river twice. And so when you're when you're gone, stuff always changes. But right. then 2020 really kind of threw a lot of people for a, for a loop. Yeah, I think that has definitely impacted the reintegration process for all of us because we, at least I know for me, like I keep waiting for that sense of feeling like I've I've returned to home as seems normal. Mm-hmm. And and yes, you're right. There's a part of that that is never the same. Right. Um, but I think it's been even more exaggerated um, right now because nothing is normal in society or in our homes and in our communities. It's all been different. So on the one hand, I think that that um, just – prolongs that feeling of being in transition. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even I keep saying like, well, I just got back from a deployment. And then I think, oh, how long can I say that? You know, it's been months. (laughs) Um, But I still feel like, you know, I just got back. Um, On the other hand, I almost in some ways feel like maybe it's been helpful because, because my family feels like they're kind of in this sense of, um, of upset or, you know, transition themselves within this COVID culture. And Mm -hmm. so in some ways, because we're all in it, I don't feel quite so much like the outlier where I think if it had been just me that was coming back and they were just kind of in their normal home thing, I think I would feel somewhat disconnected um, in my feelings of that, that now we kind of all share. That's funny. That's one of of the memes that was going around on social media when the pandemic first started was – Military veterans and people in the military are laughing that now everybody knows what it's like to be in the military. Right. Your weekend plans are ruined, right? Yeah. So, so well, I think one of the things that, that that whole transition process and uh, some of the things that you touched on, and I've talked about this recently 
with respect to spiritual fitness um, and the comparison between spiritual fitness and physical fitness is that those are those are things that you're you're never done with. Mm-hmm. And I think mental fitness and me- mental health and mental readiness too. That's that's something that you're never done with. It's not like absolutely. Uh, I'm I'm healthy. I'm in a good place now, and it's you know we hope that it's always like that. But circumstances change. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the world around us changes, and we have to be able to adapt and to deal with the changes that come. So the army recently re- released a new. FM 7-22, Field Manual 7-22, and put spiritual fitness or spiritual readiness alongside physical readiness and sleep and diet together with mental readiness and and, and mental health. So uh, I was hoping that you could tell me a, a little bit more about your role as the director of psychological health, kind of what, what does that mean? And, and and I know that's that's what you do Monday through Friday for the National Guard, and then you do something similar when you put the uniform on for for drill weekends. Tell me, tell us a little bit more about what the the director of psychological health does for the Oregon National Guard. The director of psychological health is uh, the behavioral health professional who is in charge and oversees the full time support of. All of the guard members. Uh, in a nutshell, what I tell people is my job is to take care of soldiers, make sure that they are doing okay. If they're not doing okay, are they getting what they need um, to get to that point where they're mm-hmm. doing okay? And then thirdly, what does that mean in relation to their Army duties? Uh, and I kind of view it in that order. Sure. Um, on, the, on the military side, the behavior health officers – operate um, out of the medical command and our mission is um, is about readiness um, and on the full-time side our job is to support and kind of pick up those that have been identified by the M-Day side as needing some support in order to in, a, in their mental health and an emotional state be at a place of top performance and readiness and then on the full-time side we follow up with that and come alongside them and get them connected to the right resources within their region or within their when you're in their home of record that they need in order to reach that peak performance and readiness and really just to live well. Oh yeah. Oh that oh, and that's ultimately we we want our soldiers and our airmen to to flourish in their lives out, outside the military Absolutely. and we want what they do when they're in uniform to to support and to enhance enhance mm-hmm. their life. So that that term M day that's kind of the technical term that we use to to describe a soldier or an airman who's on a drill status. So that's that's what they do on their on their drill weekends. And really it's kind of the case for for everybody in the reserve components that to be to be ready for what you do that one weekend a month or the few weeks in the uh, in the summertime or or whenever you're training and putting on the uniform, you you can't just roll in put put the uniform on on Saturday morning and and be ready to go. It takes it take. There's a lot. It's well, that's really kind of the tip of the iceberg, right? There's a mm-hmm. lot that's happening throughout the month, and there's there's a lot that uh, the men and women who serve need to do to to, to take care of themselves and. So you you brought up kind of what you do to support readiness with MedCom. And so quite often, I think maybe that's the only time that some of our men and women will see the behavioral health uh, personnel and professionals that we have in the organization is when they go through what we call a 
a uh, PHA or a periodic health assessment or the SRP, the soldier readiness processing, did I get that acronym right? But, mm-hmm. you know, when they when they go through, the, they work through all the stations and, and get everything checked and poked and prodded and questions asked to make sure that they're ready, ready to go. But there's a lot that that you and your team do to, to help make sure that, you know, something's identified at one of those events, or if there's something that a soldier uh, self-identifies mm-hmm. b- b- during, you know, maybe on a, maybe it comes up on a drill weekend, but maybe they notice during the month that something's going on. Uh, but there, there are a lot of resources that, that your team has to support the soldiers. Can you talk, talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, and certainly, um, we have soldiers that will come to us um, self-referred, um, and and there's really we like to say there's no wrong door, sure. um, and and maybe we're not the right place to help them, but we are definitely square one and a first stop. So if mm-hmm. if we're not the resource that they need, then you know we'll certainly connect them to the right resource. Maybe it's uh, family programs, maybe it's the chaplain's office, mm-hmm. um, or whatever the the case may be. Um, we want to be known as as a safe place for them to reach out and to ask for whatever help that they need. Um, sometimes it's the commands that um, are concerned about their soldiers or they've been made aware and so they'll refer or sometimes the soldiers will call themselves or sometimes they'll be screened at the PHAs mm-hmm. and be referred to the full-time support on that side. So our job is to work with the soldier to kind of assess, you know, what it is that that they need. Uh, And maybe they know what they need and maybe they don't know what they need. They just know that life isn't working for them and they have no idea where to start. That's okay. And so we'll work with them to kind of identify and narrow down what those needs are. Um, Some of the resources might include getting them connected to a counseling resource, either individual Mm -hmm. or couples, which can be a very complicated system. It depends on insurance um, options. There's services that are available to them, particularly if they've deployed before. Um, It'll depend on where they live and what the resources are in their community. There's a lot more now that we're able to do virtual services, so there's a lot of other options. So part of our job is to figure out where their need is and what the resources that are available to them as an individual are and then make those two things meet up together. Mm -hmm. And so it might be that or it might be some of the other state programs, um, financial counselors or employment um, coaches or um, services for their families or their children. Really, any of those things are things that will help to connect them to. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it never is a one-size-fits-all solution. Absolutely not. Every situation is very different. Um, every person is very different and, and every scenario um, based on their particular logistics or location is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the options that somebody has in Portland are very different than somebody who lives in Burns. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But now we do have some full-time behavioral health professionals within the state of Oregon, don't we? Yeah. So my team consists right now of uh, four of us that are regionally located. So we have Portland, Salem, we have Southern Oregon down in the Ashland Medford area, and we have Eastern Oregon in the Pendleton LeGrand area. Oh, fantastic. So I think you'd mentioned it earlier too. Uh, there, there remains, in spite of all of our best efforts, there remains a little bit of a stigma about reaching out. But really what we want to do is, most of all, encourage soldiers to, to reach out and ask for help when they need it, or even, you know, just to 
find a safe place to talk about what's going on and let the professionals kind of help find them what they need and and help put together a, a plan of action. Yeah, I would love to see the day when it becomes the norm. And this is what I tell whenever I meet uh, a brand new, you know, E2, E3 that comes through a PHA, I, I kind of give them my spiel. And and what I say is just by nature of what we do, the fact that we are military, the fact that we are citizen soldiers and we have these demanding schedules and trainings and deployments and all of that should indicate that at some point in our lives, just by the nature of that job, we're going to need support or help, whether it's financial, whether it's education, whether it's family support, that should be the norm that we think, you know, it may not be this year. This year it may be our job to support, you know, the person to our left, knowing that in four years it may be their job to support us. And then that that should just be a norm. Um, And that's really the message that I'm trying to put out there is, um, is that we can't do this alone, particularly this job. Mm -hmm. Um, We cannot do, we are stronger when we do it together. And so um, reaching out for help early and, mm-hmm. and often um, and taking advantage of those um, resources when problems are small, um, if, when that can become the norm, then the healthier we're all going to be. Oh, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. Are there any other kind of misconceptions that you think might be out there or things that you've encountered with, with soldiers or airmen that you, that you have talked to? Yeah, there are several, still, still several misconceptions that we tend to have to clarify a lot. One of them is, uh, first of all, I think is the misconception that asking for help means that you're weak. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and that's just a paradigm um, that, you know, we've been battling for a long time. And I would say, you know, really asking for help, again, should be the norm. And that also it indicates huge strength, vulnerability requires huge courage um, and right. strength, not the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, we're, we're often battling that misconception and, and still that, that stigma within the culture. Um, we often have to clarify for people, there's still that belief that if I uh, am connected to behavioral health or if I need some behavioral health assistance, that I'm, it's going to ruin my career and I'm mm-hmm. going to get kicked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, to which I always say, um, no, it's it's when you don't. Um, so if somebody comes to us and says, I, I think I'm drinking too much and I, I can't seem to get control, I think I might need some help, um, that's not what gets you kicked out. What gets you kicked out is when you don't ask for help and then you have the DUI or right. you have the, you know um, – you're, you're in the car wreck or, mm-hmm. you know, it's those bigger things when the wheels come off that are going to hinder a career and not necessarily get you kicked out. But they're going to impact. Yeah, um, oh yeah. Asking for help isn't the thing that that impacts. Um, I think the misconception is changing around being in counseling or even being on medications. It used to be believed that if you were on any medications for, you know, anxiety or depression, Mm -hmm. that you weren't deployable or that you couldn't stay in the military. And that is false. There are um, lots of the um, more common medications that are completely allowed or waverable, even on a deployment. Again, it's it's we want people to live well. I will also say that this is a little bit of a different era that we're in right now. This is we've been 20 years um, in this conflict Mm -hmm. and this has created 
some behavioral health issues when people have deployed three, four, five times over the course of their career, that's going to leave a mark that's going to impact. Mm-hmm. And so that has played into the changes and, and these misconceptions and how we need to think differently about taking care of our soldiers that have been in this for 10, 15 years. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. Javelin, can I ask a question, actually? Yeah. Um, so, ma'am, you're talking about all these misconceptions and stigmas associated with seeking out mental health. One thing that I've noticed in almost 20 years now um, people have that stigma. They don't want to talk to the military mental health professionals because Mm -hmm. they don't want to jeopardize their career. Mm -hmm. But then they also don't feel comfortable talking to the civilian mental health professionals because they feel like they don't understand. Yes. So as someone who has done both Mm -hmm. and who started your military career after you had already been helping Mm -hmm. soldiers as a civilian mental health professional, did you see a a benefit by joining? Do you see that you're better equipped to help these soldiers Mm -hmm. once you join the military? Or do you feel that civilian mental health professionals can still provide the same level of Mm -hmm. care and uh, treatment? That is a really great question. Um, And the answer is is both. Um, There... There is a barrier for people getting quality care within the civilian sector because there is that lack of cultural competence um, among civilian providers often about our military culture. Um, One of the things that I do as the DPH is that I go around the state and I provide trainings to civilian community counselors and providers about military culture. Mm -hmm. This has been a huge... um, thing over the last four or five years because what we want because of the in the national guard our behavioral health are not um allowed to provide treatment we we do the assessment and then we refer and we Mm -hmm. depend whether it's medical or mental health we depend on the civilian um, community providers to provide the treatment for our uh, service members and so we want to make sure that they're equipped to deal. I, I know having been in the civilian sector for years, there are differences in the military culture that on the civilian side, for instance, if, if I, when I was a civilian counselor and if somebody came in and told me that they slept with you know, their, um, their gun under their pillow, I would have you know, been hugely concerned. In the military, I kind of go, well, yeah, <laughs> right. that's, more, that's more the norm and it means something different. Um, and so um, – there is a need and there's this whole uh, – our STAR Behavioral Health Program is the program that we have uh, partnered with the Center for Deployment Psychology um, out of um, the Uniformed Services University. And, and that's their mission is to provide training to um, the mental health pr- world around military culture and how to provide culturally competent evidence-based practices. So that's been a huge push that we have tried to do here in Oregon for the last five years so that we can bridge that gap. Uh, we, what we know is about 50 percent of uh, the military and veteran population is not comfortable still even receiving services through the VA. And so that was one of the reasons why I got into um, into the field of military and veteran um, within the community when I was working on the civilian side was wanting to be another one of those resources um, that that would just be able to bridge that gap into the military culture. Uh, I worried actually about how that was going to impact um, 
when I commissioned and became an officer, I wondered if people would feel less comfortable talking to me because now I was an officer. And I actually found it to be the opposite. I, I think overall that they came in and they saw me in uniform and said, well, ma'am, you understand because mm-hmm. you're in the military. Even before I got the patch on my right sleeve, mm-hmm. um, people would say that. And uh, now I think now that I have had that deployment experience, now even more so we'd be able to kind of provide that um, culturally competent, evidence-based help for them. Yeah. Well, so I always – one of the analogies that I like to use when we talk about living well or holistic health because you've, you've used uh, that phrase. I love it, living well. You've used that a couple times. And I, I like to use the analogy of a carabiner or a, or a D-ring, right, a locking carabiner. And, and in the military, we, we, see, we see them, we use them. And it's a piece of equipment that is – designed to function under tension and un- under stress. And the, its tensile strength is based on a number of factors. And I, I think our holistic health too, and, and that's what I think the Army is getting at using that phrase, hol- holistic health and fitness is, is getting after. That it's a, it's a combination of your mental health, your physical fitness, your, your spiritual fitness, um, because I, I, would, I would like to ask you maybe a question or two about that too, and the, the strength of your relationships. All of those things work together. And at the same time, it's, it's a piece of equipment that doesn't function in isolation. It has to be con- connected to mm-hmm. something as well. Um, so can you maybe talk about the relationship between religious beliefs or, or faith and, and mental health? We've had a great relationship here in Oregon between the chaplain corps and the behavioral health providers that we do have. We have, and I, I really appreciate that connection. Um, you know, when we think about the a person holistically, yeah, I, I think that all of those areas, the physical, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual, the social, all of those things interplay. And I, I think in ways that we don't even know yet, um, even scientifically and psychologically, mm-hmm. how all of those things are interrelated and, and play off of each other. Um, and so, uh, you know, I love that approach. And I do think that the spiritual aspect of, of a person's being is um, is very important and can be a huge factor in enhancing um, their emotional and uh, well-being, their mental well-being, mm-hmm. um, as or or the opposite. And I, I think it, it's a it's an area that can't be ignored. Right, it needs to be part of of the whole conversation of, of the person. I always use the analogy of um, of a of a sports car um, mm-hmm. and. And, you know, only focusing on one aspect like, you know, well, we're good at we're good at the physical. We're good at, you know, the PT and the working out and then getting the gains. That's like only ever changing the oil in your car, um, but never, you know, never changing the tires, Mm -hmm. never, Mm -hmm. you know, polishing, never, never, you know, doing any of the other work. You have to the car is going to run the best when when there's a balanced focus on every area. The research uh, has has shown that really. Both sides are true when it comes to spiritual um, impact on a person's coping and resilience and well-being, that it can be both a strength and a weakness depending on what their experience has been. Sure. So 
you know, for for people who uh, who have had a, a positive experience, a lot of a lot of our emotional and mental well being has to do with with how we think. You know, cognitive behavioral um, concepts. You know, the way that we think you know, will lead to how we feel, which will dictate, you know, how we respond. And so adding that faith component or a, a, a place of hope um, can be a, um, a real benefit um, to that, you know, that making meaning of situations or even trauma mm-hmm. um, of, of bringing a more optimistic or um, hopeful or faith-filled perspective will then improve you know the emotional side and and therefore our response um the the flip side of that is that if their spiritual experience is is more negative maybe because of their concepts of um you know maybe their anger at god or god's anger at them or a, a bad experience with you know other people within their spiritual community, then right. then it can be um, also, you know, something that kind of drains that resiliency mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah, there's a huge uh, relational component or, or community component to resilience. I mean, that can cross into other facets or other domains of your life, too, that if it's if you're part of a community that is not helpful for you and is isn't making you a better person, if the the people that you're surrounded with are destructive or causing more damage or trauma to your your overall health and well-being, then then, Mm -hmm. yeah, then it's, it's certainly something you need to take a look at. Yeah. So I think that that spiritual aspect, you know, overlaps with the. Uh, the mental aspect in that mm-hmm. sense it certainly overlaps um, with the with the social um, aspect um, and the sense of community um, or togetherness certainly um, one of the you know in all of the years that we have talked about the suicide rates and Oregon being a fairly high suicide rate amongst the the nation I've always wondered you know there's so many things that factor into that but I, I don't know what the current statistics are but you know 10 years ago i think oregon was was known to be one of the most unchurched states in the nation mm-hmm. that people had you know there was less people connected uh, to a, uh, a spiritual or faith center here in oregon than in other states and other cultures and i've wondered how that plays into um, even our suicide rates knowing that connectedness and togetherness is a protective factor um, for suicide so that definitely plays in on the social um, aspect um, and then even the physical aspect, you know, the, the practices of, of prayer and meditation and the impact that that has on our relaxation and mm-hmm. our heart rate and our blood pressure and all of those things certainly overlaps into the physical as well. Could I actually ask one more question? Absolutely. It's, it's more of a question for the both of you. So, Chaplain, as a faith-based healer of the mental aspect and am as a science-based healer of the mental aspect, do you feel that the two are mutually exclusive for folks who have one belief or the other? And if not, how can they benefit people who maybe lean more towards faith or lean more towards science? I think that's the question, Sir Holden. So our uh, producer, Sir First Class, uh, Zachary Holden, just asked a, a great question about the kind of the differences between the uh, mental health profession and what chaplains bring being religious leaders and and clergy. There's never a one-size-fits-all approach to your overall 
health and wellness. And so I, I think we probably one thing that we share is we don't want to make assumptions when someone walks into the door uh, seeking counsel or, or seeking help. And if, if I only have one tool in my toolbox and that's just if I start trying to fix something without getting to know the person and where they're coming from, what are their beliefs, attitudes and behaviors based on what, where, where are they coming from? You know, then I'm, I'm doing that person a disservice. I think in the past, there has been certainly a, uh, a separation and, and sometimes even a contentiousness between psychology and religion. And I think we've come a long ways. And I, I think part of that is, is an expanded view of religion into more of a, uh, a view of spirituality as mm-hmm. something larger. I personally, I love uh, Brene Brown's definition of spirituality just being about that sense of, of a belief that we are all interconnected in something mm-hmm. that is bigger than us. And whether that concept is that it's, that it's God maybe, or um, something that would have a religious flavor or whether it's something that's just more spiritual, it's all based out of a place of, of love and connectedness mm-hmm. um, with us as humans. And I think that as we've moved more into that understanding, I don't think you can separate psychology from spirituality. I think that they're just kind of the, the facet, a different facet of the same thing, which is our humanity. Um, and right. the more that we recognize, again, all those facets of humanity and that we're, we're all working toward the same thing, which, mm-hmm. as we've talked about, is that we want everyone to live well. Mm-hmm. And, and for some, that may take a little bit more of a flavor that is in the behavioral health domain and it maybe it'll take a flavor that's more in the chaplain lane or domain. I think that that's one of the things that has been great about our teams is that we recognize that we're on the same team mm-hmm. and uh, our, our tagline for, for our program is, is one family, one fight. And I, I see that. I see that you and your chaplain team is part of my family and that we're, we're in the same fight. We're in the same fight for hope. We're in the same fight for connectedness. We're in the same fight, um, uh, you know, against, uh, you know, some of these things in, in the culture that we've been, the stigma that we've been trying to right. change. Right. Yeah. These, these negative outcomes. And, and ultimately we, we want the, the people that, self-select to become part of our organizations to be to join our formations we we want them to be to be healthy and to be better airmen or soldiers better husbands wives fathers mothers children just product productive members of society and we want their service here to be uh, to, to be a blessing and a benefit to them and to the and to the people around them with just a couple minutes left um, you, you brought a book today. Uh, so I love, I love that expression that leaders are readers. And so I like to ask people kind of what they've been reading. Um, what's, a, what's a book that you've read recently that you would, you'd recommend? I mentioned that Brene Brown is one of my favorite authors. And I think that she speaks to the holistic view of health that we're talking about really well in her research and in her writing. And on the deployment, I read uh, one of her more recent books, Braving the Wilderness. And I think that it is a, a, a key message for today and for our culture today. It's a, it focuses on our, 
our need for belonging Mm -hmm. as humans and kind of the epidemic of loneliness that's happening in our culture Mm -hmm. right now and the the divisiveness that we have. Uh, She wrote it in 2016 after the election and and when things really started to divide uh, within our culture. But I think that all of that is even more prevalent today. And it's it's really about um, bridging those gaps uh, in our culture and coming back together. And uh, I just, I think it is some great perspective on what the solution is for, for our culture. And, and again, going back to we're wired for connection. Mm-hmm. We're wired to do this together. And there's some things that are really coming against that in our culture right now. And how do we overcome that and maintain that connectedness that we need to be healthy and whole? It sounds like a great read. Well, Beth, thank you so much for spending your time with us today and blessings to you and the entire behavioral health team uh, and and all uh, the good folks that work over there. Thank you. I appreciate our collaboration. Absolutely. This podcast is produced by the Oregon National Guard Public Affairs Office. My prayer for you is that wherever you find yourself, that you might find hope for today and strength for the ambiguity and chaos of life. Blessings on the rest of your day.